Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. First Samuel chapter number 17 is where we've been for our Giant Slayers conversation. All right, we are in the third part of, I don't know, maybe a four or five week sub-series on Giant Slayers. And in week one, we talked about what a giant is. In week one, we talked about the four categories of people. We talked about you slaying the giant in your mind first. All right, and last week we spoke about the role of faith in giant slaying, that you should slay in your lane. You should slay in your lane and that we are giant slayers, not giant hunters. All right, said that if you start out in faith, make sure that you continue in faith because it is he that endures to the very end that will be saved. I'm just going to build, build on that today. And this is going to be really good. First Samuel 17. I want to read from verse number 23 in the New Living Translation of the Bible. First Samuel 17 from verse number 23. All right. So the Bible says this, as he was talking with them, that's David was talking with them. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. <laughs> Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. <laughs> David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will the man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. The reply being that he would get to marry one of the king's daughters and his entire family would be exempted from taxes. Those are some pretty nice perks right there. All right, they gave him the exact same reply. Verse number 28, the Bible says, But when David's older brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you were supposed to be taking care of? I know your, I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Verse 32, the Bible says, Don't worry about this Philistine, David said to Saul. I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul said. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. There is no way. You're only a boy, and he has been a man of war since his youth since his youth since his youth last week we talked about faith okay so let me just let me start my conversation there today and one of the interesting things about faith is the bible says in romans chapter 10 and verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god hearing what you hear plays a role a significant role 
in your faith level. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17. But guess what? Doubt also comes by hearing and by hearing the evil report of others. All right. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Doubt comes by hearing, hearing the evil report of other people. And so that's why in the book of Numbers, which we read two weeks ago, all right, we use this as a parallel scripture where the children of Israel come or waiting rather for some spies who have gone to spy the land to come back with a report. 10 out of 12 come back with a negative report or an evil report. And because of what they hear from the 10 people, the entire crowd, the entire congregation of them loses faith. They doubt God. And as a result, they're not able to proceed on their journey because of what they heard. All right. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Doubt also comes by hearing and by hearing the evil report of other people. So you have to be careful what you hear. We're talking about giant slayers, part number three. And so because of that, I just want to start off the conversation today talking about the voices that you would hear, the different voices that you would hear. If you're going to be a giant slayer, the first voice that you would hear is, of course, your voice, your voice, the voice of your mind. And we talked about this, you know, ad nauseum in week one and week two, the voice of your mind. It's not just the voice of Goliath, because guess what? Even if Goliath never says a word, your mind speaks to you. You still hear the voice of your mind telling you this does not make sense. This is illogical. This is impossible. What are you doing? This is not something that you should embark upon. Even if Goliath never speaks a word, your inner voice would speak to you. That's one of the voices that you will hear. And usually it's the voice of logic, unless your spirit has somehow captured the realities of God and has, able, and has been able to overpower the mind to the point where it can tell you things that are positive and not negative about the situation. The first voice you hear is your voice. The second voice you hear, and you need to be careful and watchful of, is the threatening voice. The threatening voice of Goliath. It is This particular voice is designed to instill fear in your heart. The threatening voice is designed to intimidate you to instill fear and to sow the seed of fear in your heart. And so when Goliath comes out, he speaks and says, you know, I am the Philistine champion from God. You are a servant or you know, servant of Saul. Give me a man to fight me. If he can kill me, will be your servant. If I kill him, then the lot of you will become our servants. It's the threatening voice that you will hear every time that you want to embark on a giant slaying mission, which we've said already has to be aligned with God's agenda, which we've said, of course, has to be on your path, the path of your purpose. There would be your inner voice. There would be the voice of the situation that will speak loudly, audibly and clearly to you to instill fear in you. If you read the book of Acts chapter four, all right, the Bible says that Peter and John had just performed a notable miracle. This is after, after they'd healed the guy who was born lame at the gate called Beautiful. Now they were facing some persecution. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 from verse 18 to 21 that the council, the leadership, the high priest, they said to them, do not speak. They threatened them. Do not speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Do not even utter that name. They, they made threats against them. That's the threatening voice. All right. And the Bible says that Peter and John responded to them saying in verse number 20, that we cannot but speak 
about the things that we have both seen and heard all right they threaten them that's the same voice of nebuchadnezzar you will remember where he said i'm going to give you one more chance because i love you three hebrew boys if you do not bow down right this moment and you know to my idol i will toss you into the flame of fire you would hear the threatening voice another voice that you will hear is the frightened voice the frightened voice this is the voice of people who've heard or who've seen the same giant that you are up against and they give you an evil report those are the guys the 10 spies that came back from from spying the land and came back to the children of Israel and said, look, we cannot go. We are terrified. These guys are giants. They're going to kill us. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we were like that in their eyes as well. The frightened voice was the, was the voice that David heard when he came to the battleground and saw all the soldiers running away, the entire army fleeing back, all right, running back from the battlefield because they heard the voice of Goliath and they were saying to him, have you seen that giant? He comes out every day and he threatens us. That, that's, the, that's the frightened voice. You hear the frightened voice from people who have tried something that you want to do and have failed at it. You hear the frightened voice from people who understand the implications of what you are attempting to do and don't see what you have seen. You will hear the frightened voice. Listen, fear is contagious. All right, so the frightened voice actually has the power to actually to, to trap you as well. Fear is contagious. Fear can jump and spread like wildfire. It is contagious. So you have the inner voice, you have the threatening voice, you have the frightened voice. You also have the angry voice. That was the voice of Eliab. This is the voice of people who are just mad at you that you would dare to dream, who would just be upset at you, that you would dare to think that this was a possibility to begin with. You know, Eliab, the brother of David says, what are you doing here? I know that you've come here. Out of he was just upset. He was vexed by the fact that David could conceive in his mind that he could fight the giant. You would have the angry voice of people who are insecure, who, who feel like the fact that you actually consider slaying the giant as a possibility they see it as a threat it tells on them or it reveals their weakness and as a result they would lash out at you they will call you names they will call you proud those are the guys who would call you proud and arrogant for the dreams that god has put in your heart like eliab the brother of of david you will find an angry voice in jacob all right when joseph had his dream he had the first dream he had a second dream the bible says that his father was upset and says what kind of a dream is this are you saying that i would bow down to you and your mother would bow down to you and your siblings would also bow down to you that's the the angry voice all right insecure and the intent of the angry voice is to dominate you and influence you in such a way that you turn back from the battle because they are also scared of the of the same battle all right or it's threatening to them the last voice that you would hear is a concerned voice. Now, this is a voice of people who actually really love you. Uh, they're just really worried for your well-being. And they're saying, look, are you sure that you really want to do this? You know, and give you all the logical reasons why it would not work. So their intention is pure, like Saul. Saul was like, look, you're just a boy. I don't think you, you're, you're capable. You don't want to fight this guy. He's been a, a champion from the days of his youth. But David says, I will go forward and fight him. You would have the concerned people who sincerely love you, all right? They sincerely love you, but they, and they want to protect you. However, however, 
their protection can cost you your destiny. All right. I am pretty sure that if Mary had her way, the mother of Jesus, she would have preferred that her baby boy did not die on the cross. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that Peter, if Peter had his way, he would have ensured that Jesus did not go to the cross. And he, 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 those are the concerned voices. All right. They really sincerely care about you. However, their care can become an impediment to the things that God wants to do in your life. All right. So what does all this mean? I said all that to say this. Number one, the voices that you hear around you doesn't necessarily mean that those people are mediocre. It doesn't mean that they don't fear God. It doesn't mean that they don't love you. It doesn't even mean that they don't love God. It just means that they haven't seen and heard what you have seen and heard. Understand that you know what you That's why Peter and John says, look, we cannot but speak. Acts chapter 4 and verse 20. I am compelled. I'm constrained. I cannot but speak about the things that I have both seen and heard. Seen and heard all right they have not seen what you've seen they haven't heard what you've heard so you cannot expect them to think or perceive or understand the way that you understand you know one of the funny things about this is that even bill gates i understand that even bill gates in 1994 had said that the internet was not going to become what it became today he'd said that the potential of the internet was limited now this is bill gates so obviously this is a really smart dude and also a techie dude but guess what he saw he did not see what the other people saw about the internet in that particular generation so don't think that when people don't see what you see that it's not from god sometimes you don't have as many people to confirm what you see or what you hear in your heart not to say not to say that you despise advice not to say that you walk in isolation as well all right because you need to validate you know you need to you need to test the Bible says test all spirits, okay? You need to test all spirits and test all things. You need to test what you've heard, but listen to the voices and discern what they are. Are they angry voices? Are they concerned voices? Which is legitimate, okay? Are they threatening voices? Are they frightened voices? And in that discernment, you can figure out what to do and what not to do as far as your giant slaying activities or intent are concern one of the things you must understand though is that the voice that must be loudest in your heart in your spirit is the voice of the lord the bible says that my sheep know my voice john chapter 10 and verse 20, 27 my sheep know my voice my sheep know my voice and romans chapter 3 and verse 4 says that let god be true and every man be a liar don't forget this let god be true what god has said is the truth and everything else must be a lie unless it aligns with what God has said. Let God be true and every man be a liar. I want to park that for a second and I want to jump onto a parallel thought and I converge everything later further down the line. I want to talk to us first and foremost about self. So now when you think about our generation, the generation we live in right now, we have words like self-care trending, self-love trending, selfie trending. All right, there is an obsession with self. Now, <laughs> uh, it's not a bad thing to think about yourself and to care about yourself, but it's a terrible thing to be obsessed with self. All right, and, and that's what the generation that we are in is. If I go through, if I pick up an average person's phone and I scroll through the phone, most of the pictures that I would find there are pictures of you. Not only pictures of you, but pictures that you took yourself. They're called selfies, okay? You take a selfie and your phone is full of selfies. And 
not to condemn you and not to throw shots at you, okay? So don't say shots fired or anything. I'm not firing any shots. I'm just trying to make a point about self, all right? And, and this whole thing about self, really, we built companies, billion-dollar companies on the, the, the self-obsession of people. Things like Instagram has been built really on the obsession, started out being built on the obsession that we have with ourselves. Now people are using Instagram for more productive things, but when it started, it started out as just people taking pictures of themselves, of you know their food or you know random stuff and just posting it up on social media. But self is really disastrous. You know, it brings a lot of pain. Divorce rate is going up because of self, because people are selfish. People just don't want to give, don't want to yield to somebody else. All right, things that normally would work with ease become more difficult because everyone is selfish. One of the reasons why people are more depressed now than ever before is because we are more selfish than we've ever been. We think about ourselves. We see ourselves. We see the things that we don't have as opposed to looking outward to see the things that other people don't have so that you can be grateful for the things that you have. But instead, what happens is that we focus and we fixate on ourselves, what we don't have, and as a result, it can lead to depression. Not the only reason why people are depressed, by the way. Just put that out there, but at least it's one of the reasons why we are ungrateful we are ungrateful we see everything that's wrong with us all right even church church is even losing power because of self because when we pray as christians now our prayer points are more about the things that we want god to do for us than the things that god wants to really really do and and when you think about the generations okay think about your parents generations okay or generation before you you realize that with every generation we become more selfish Right. Um, I, I just imagine my parents when they grew up and when we, when, when we were being raised, they were very selfless. I saw lots of things that my parents did that I don't even think I can scratch the surface. I'm just like, yeah, I can't even do a half of what you guys did. They were very selfless. And with every generation, we become more selfish. I have a feeling. I have a theory. OK, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a social scientist or um, a psychologist or anything, but I'm an enthusiast of common sense that it has something to do with the technology, you know, the rate of technology, uh, how technology has grown and infiltrated, you know, society today, where we're focused on ourselves, we have a narcissistic mindset, and as a result, we become a bit more selfish, all right? Anything that doesn't favor us, we don't get involved in. Anything that doesn't benefit, you know, that doesn't really stand to yield profit or benefit to us, we don't want to get involved in, all right? But the funny thing is that even the most spiritual things, just stay with me for a second, I'm trying to make a point. Even the most spiritual things that we do today, we found a way to introduce self. We found a way to hijack pure things, you know, things that are as pure as, just think about, for example, what I do today, I'm privileged to serve as a pastor. I have a calling of God upon my life to do something that's significant. Okay, don't forget, I said that chance lane is not about doing something big with your life. It's about doing something significant with your life. So I believe that what I'm doing is significant. I believe that it changes lives. I believe that it affects destinies and all that stuff. But you know that even the ministry of God, something that started out as a pure calling, can easily, easily be hijacked by self. Very quickly along the line, you can take the agenda of God and cause that to become your selfish ambition. All right. It's, it's, it's a switch and it happens pretty quickly. All right. So Christianity, though. Christianity, we're still talking about giant slayers, so just hold, hold that thought for a second. It gets good in a second. Christianity, though, is about getting over yourself. As a matter of fact, one of the phrases that best defines Christianity is get over yourself. I know we don't like that. I know right now, inside of you, you're railing at that thought, how can I get over myself? But it's me, 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 me. But Christianity really means getting over yourself. Jesus says, look, if any man would follow me, 
he must first deny himself, then take up his cross and follow me. Christianity is about killing the self. It's about making yourself secondary or of no regard, but focusing on God first. On God first. It's about pushing yourself, relegating yourself to the background and focusing on God first. And I know that thought is not really something that is not a popular thought, but that is exactly what Christianity is. As a matter of fact, in Christianity, God is first. As followers of Jesus, you're not always second because you think God is first and then I'm second. No, 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 no. In some instances, as a matter of fact, other people come before you. If you read Philippians chapter 2 from verse 3, the Bible says that let nothing be done with selfish ambition. All right, let nothing be done with selfish ambition or conceit. The Bible says that, but in lowliness of mind, let each one of us esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. So think about this. The, the first commandment is thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and soul and everything and everything that you have first. The second commandment is this. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor as yourself. So whenever there's a conflict between in a decision you have to make between something that benefits you or benefits other people, if 100% of the time you make the decision that benefits you, then it means you love yourself more than your neighbor. Say that again. When you're faced with conflicting decisions, decisions where on the one hand it benefits you, on the other hand it benefits other people, if you always would go with the decision that benefits you first it means you love yourself more than your neighbor that means that the second commandment we have found wanting there he says love your neighbor as yourself so that means sometimes you make decisions that benefit other people just because and then sometimes you make decisions that benefit you so the balance the balance is there now what what does this have to do with giant slayers let's read scriptures in first samuel chapter 17 and let's talk about david for a minute okay first samuel 17 from verse 25 the bible says this 25 NLT, have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. So these are the frightened voices, okay? The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give him, he'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. So good. Hold on one second. So this is what happened here. David has just gotten to the battlefield. And as he gets to the battlefield, he hears Goliath. Okay. With his usual rants. I will kill you guys blah blah and so on and so forth he hears the rant of goliath and right there in his heart he knows i'm gonna kill this dude he's a bad bad guy i said that before about david bare hands remember that i'm gonna kill this dude you 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 will never say that today is the last day you're gonna utter those words i just imagine david just saying that in his mind he knew right in his heart from that moment he heard goliath speak that number one i can kill this dude and i will kill this dude stay with me stay with me and the whole army of Israel, the Bible says that they are running away scared. Running away scared. One person knows that he's going to kill the lion. However, when he shows up on the field, the first question he asks is, what's in it for me? Did you get that? What's in it for 
me. Now, I know you thought that we're only going to talk about positive things about David and all that. Yes, we do talk about positive things, but we have to have a balanced approach. The first question David asks is, um, what's in this for me? Do you, do you connect that to self? Let me explain further. There is a threat on the horizon. A major threat. And the first thing you ask is what's in it for me? No? Okay. Uh, guess what? There is a, ther- I mean, a, a terrorist attack on the horizon. There's a threat to the nation. And you have information that can avert that disaster. You have information that could avoid a terrorist attack on the nation that could influence thousands of people. And the first question you could ask when you call the police and say, hey, is this the FBI? They're like, yep. I'm like, oh, well, I have a tip about a terrorist plot. But um, guess what? What's in it for me? See that? I have the capacity to ensure that all these soldiers go home to, the, go home to their wives and kids. I have the capacity. I know I can do it. I know I'm going to do it. But before I, before I move an inch, before I raise a finger, before I lift a finger, I want to know what is the need for me. Do you see the human condition? And this was David, by the way. This was a man after God's heart. The best of men, the best of men are selfish. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? So David started off that journey wrong to begin with because he was thinking about, what do I get? And they said, well, guess what? You get to marry the king's daughter and your entire family is exempted from taxes. And he's like, oh, that sounds great. Then he goes on, but he makes a switch pretty quickly in his mind and says, well, mm, by the way, who's this guy that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's what he should have said first before he thought about what's in it for him. Like Peter and his friends. Remember when Jesus came, came and said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They followed Jesus. It was later, weeks, maybe years down the line, they would ask Jesus, um, by the way, Jesus, we left everything and followed you. What's in it for us? That's the right approach is that self comes after you have obeyed God. You do it first because it's God's agenda, not because you have something to benefit from it. And the funny thing is this, and how you understand that this was a problem was because David got duped, right? Everything that he was promised that he would get for killing Goliath, he didn't get any of that stuff. First and foremost, he, he, well, he had to marry the wife, I mean, the daughter of Saul by fighting another battle. So he didn't get a daughter of Saul just because he killed Goliath, right? He was duped. And I doubt that Saul exempted his family from paying taxes when Saul was chasing him around trying to kill him, right? So that just tells you that anything that you do out of selfish ambition, God does not bless it. God does not bless it. God only pays for what he has ordered. Just like you, you went to a Chinese restaurant and you ordered some Kung Pao chicken or something like that. And they brought out to you some ramen noodles or, you know, something. You're probably going to tell them, can you please send this back? Because this is not what I ordered. I'm not paying for it. And that's how God is as well. God would only pay for what he has ordered. All right. You need to be careful that when you are on a mission, when God puts in your heart something, you know, that's a chancellor mission, that you don't allow selfish ambition to seize the mission of God. You don't allow selfish ambition to seize the agenda of God, even in the purest of things, even ministry, serving God in any capacity. Sometimes selfish ambition can come in the way and hijack the agenda that God had from the beginning because we are self-centered. We are self-focused people. 
God does not, pay attention, God does not play second fiddle to anything or to anybody. As a matter of fact, one of the definitions of God is first. Say that again. When something is first in your life, that thing is God to you. So by, by calling him by his name, God, it implies that he must always be first. God cannot be second. God does not do second. God does not do third. He's either first or nowhere to be found. And that's why when we work with God, when we're doing something, we're on a mission, God has put something in your heart, anything whatsoever, you must always understand what is God's, what is God's agenda in this? Not just you, but what is God's agenda in what I'm doing right now? God would never place second. This is the principle of the first fruits, by the way, because a lot of people think that the principle of tithing, by the way, I'm not preaching about generosity or giving today, all right? I just want to make a point. The principle of tithing and people argue about principle, it's not really so much about the percentage, so to speak. It's the principle of firsts. God understands that what if you what you give to me, if you give me your first, you have honored me. And that's why Cain and Abel, you find that disconnect there because the Bible says that Cain brought an offering unto the Lord. He did. But the difference was that Abel brought of the first, the first of his flock, the first. And God said, the Bible says God had respect for Abel and his offering. God does not take second. God does not eat second. He, he takes first. All right. Because when, when you do that, he considers it honor. Seek ye first my kingdom. And then everything else that is worrying you, everything else that you're concerned about will be added unto you. But first, seek my kingdom. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. Now, everything you just said had to do with God, nothing to do with you. Then you can say, give us this day our daily bread. God eats first. He says, you shall have no gods before me anything that is first is a god so whatever it is that takes first from you whatever it is that you put first before god is actually a god one definition of god is first but guess what god is not opposed to you making a name for yourself god is not opposed to you having ambition no he's not he's only opposed to your ambition pushing out his agenda all right. So think about a man called Abraham. God comes to Abraham. God initiates a conversation with Abraham. Abraham does not initiate the conversation. God initiates the conversation with Abraham. And God says to Abraham, you know, Genesis chapter 12, get out of your father's house and so on and so forth. Then he says, I will make your name great. So God is not opposed to making a great name for you. But when you talk about Abraham today, what you say is, oh, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So you're not just giving Abraham glory. It's the God of Abraham that, gives, that, 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 that gets glory. God is not opposed to you making a name for yourself. He's not opposed to you doing big things in life. He's not opposed to you having ambition. But he's opposed to you ignoring his agenda. He's opposed to you not thinking about his place in your ambition. You must be careful to give God his rightful place. David came to the battleground and the first thing he thought about was, what's in this for me? I remember, you know, even as a Christian, sometimes the prayers that we pray, uh, the things I ask God for, and when I go back and I'm like, hmm, 
I'm sure God is probably wondering, this guy must really think he's all that. Like everything you just asked is about you, just for your consumption at all. You haven't thought about anything that has to do with God. But in everything, in every blessing that you have, God has an agenda. You're looking for a job. God has an agenda. You want to get married. God has an agenda. Whatever your giant is, you're starting a non-profit organization. God has an agenda. You're starting a ministry. Of course, God has an agenda. Anything in life that you call giant slaying along the path of purpose, realize that God has an agenda. Never lose sight of his agenda while you pursue your ambition. His agenda comes first. As a matter of fact, his agenda is the reason why you are on the journey to begin with. It's because of his agenda. And the problem is this, that not many of us want to be called by our last names. We want to make a name for us. I want to make a brand for us. Just think about a car like Toyota. You know, it's a Toyota Camry. It's a Toyota Highlander. All right. It's a Toyota Yaris, a Toyota Matrix or something. It's a Toyota Prius. It's Toyota first. All right. If you took away the Toyota and said, you know, I don't want to be called Toyota anymore. I just want to be called Camry. And Toyota says, that's fine. I'm just going to take my brand off of you. Guess what? That car becomes becomes useless in no time. Becomes useless in no time. And the Bible says, God says, look, I've given you light. You are the light of the world. You are a city set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. But verse Matthew 5 and verse 16, further down from all that, he says that, well, let your light shine before men. Why? So that they may see your good works. The purpose is that they glorify your Father who is in heaven. Who is in heaven. Let not your ambition seize the agenda of God. You know, Jesus, many times, they try to push ambition on him. Like, oh, we're going to make you king. Oh, you're the only one who's righteous. You're this, you're that. You know, Peter says you will not die. <laughs> you will live forever. Why would you die? You raise the dead. You, the world needs you. But he was careful to realize that every time, I'm going back to the agenda of God, he says my needs is to do the will the purpose, the agenda, the counsel of he that has sent me and to finish his work, to finish his work. And guess what? His father gave him a name. As a result of that, Bible says, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every name must bow. We think that as we struggle to make a name for ourselves, to do something great in life, to be recognized by other people, we think that that's the way to make a name. No, the fastest way to make a name is to further the agenda of God. The moment you do that, God is committed to your cause. He wants you to be, to be glorified as well. But guess what? In your glory is his glory. In your light is his glory. In your shine is his glory. Let men see your good works. Why? that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. So how do you check self? All right, because we all want to slay giants. And the thing about giant slaying is that it feeds to our ego. It feeds to our nature, which is to, to, to glorify ourselves, to feed ourselves, to, to you know, to, to, to pursue selfish ambition. All right, how, how do you keep yourself in check? One of the things you must do, you must ask yourself some of these questions I'm about to tell you. One of the questions is this. Why do you want the things you want? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why do you want that big house? If there is nothing to do with God, <laughs> in the answer to the question, why do you want the things you want? You should reassess. Why do you want that job? Why? 
Why do you want your church, your ministry to grow? Why? Why do you want, you know, to live in a particular city? Why? If there is no God element in anything that you're doing, reassess. Another question you should ask yourself is, why do you do the things you do? Think about the things you do every day. You wake up in the morning, maybe you go to work, you go to the gym, okay? You want to be fit. Why do you do the things you do? Even something as mundane as going to the gym, you would wonder, what does this got to do with God? Okay, well, guess what? I want to exercise. Why do you want to exercise? Is it because you want to have a summer body? All right, so that when you go to the beach, everybody's like, whoa, your body's really great. Or is it because you want to stay healthy so that you can be more effective in doing the thing that God has called you to do? Do you see that? There's a difference in the way we think there. Is, is, is everything you do, think about the God factor. Why do you do the things you do? Another question you should ask yourself is, why do things bother you the way they do? Or why do the things that bother you bother you? The things that really bother you in life, why do they bother you? Why? If it has nothing to do with God, reassess. All right, we've been on lockdown for weeks now. Um, a lot of things are bothering me right now, trust me. One thing that's bothering me is that I haven't been able to get a haircut in like two months. All right, but this has nothing to do with God, right? You know what I'm saying? I get it. I'm not saying that you should completely lose yourself and everything is spiritual, but I'm just trying to say to you that ask yourself some hard questions. Why do you want to be the best in your field? Why? Is it because you want to glorify God? Or is it because you want to be recognized? Or are you trying to compensate for something? Why do you want the things that you want? I have a good one here. When was the last time you lost sleep over something that had to do with God? When was the last time that you saw something or heard something that you know that would have bothered the heart of God and you lost sleep because of it? Or, or, or most times we really just don't care. God is going to be okay. I have another one. Who is receiving the public and private glory for the achievements of your life? Is it you? Is it God? Or is it something else? You have to do the self-check. Why do I want the things I want? Why do I pray the prayers I pray? Even the prayers that sound spiritual. What's the, the most spiritual thing? And what I'm doing right now is very spiritual. I'm preaching the word of God. And if I preach the word of God, I pray and pray and pray and say, God, you know, but, but, but when I, when I do a self-check and say, God, why, why am I praying to preach? Am I praying because I don't want to disappoint the people listening? Wrong reason. Am I praying because, um, I don't want to be embarrassed? Wrong reason. Am I praying because I want people to give me a pat on the back and say, wow, good word, pastor? Wrong reason. Or am I praying because I want your heart, Lord? to be transmitted to these people today. I want to capture your heart and communicate your heart. I want to make sure that I leave nothing that's on your heart unsaid. It's a different approach. It is a different approach. Self-check. So we need more men like David because the good thing about David, and I think that's encouraging for most of us, is that David was able to redeem himself. He quickly switched over from being self-centered to being God-centered. And he says, by the way, who is this Philistine? And after that, he never went back to self. He stayed on the course of God. Be, you know, it, it's important that whatever you're doing right now, you need to make a switch just like David did. You need to reassess. I feel like the majority of us need to rededicate our pursuits to God and say, God, in all this, I'm looking at you. 
I want to be all these things that I've put on my, all these goals I have for the year. It's because of you. Because if I do this, I want to make, I remember there was a year, you know, that I told myself, you know what? I, I need to make more money. I need to, I need to increase my income. Um, this madness has got to stop. Like, but it had nothing to do with God. I was just looking at my bills and I'm like, look, this is, this is not working out well for me. I am not pleased with this. But even in something as simple as God, I want to make more money. I want to make, I want to increase my income. Um, guess what? I want to increase my income, God, so that I can give more to your house. I want to increase my income more so I can follow your kingdom. I want to increase my kingdom. You know I mean, I want, to, I want to increase my income so I can do more for you. God always has an agenda in everything. Don't let your ambition stifle the agenda of God. We need men like David. We need men like Moses. Oh, I love Moses. Moses is one of the greatest guys that ever lived in the Bible. That's one of the reasons why he would show up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, at a point, God told Moses, look, Moses, I'm fed up with this entire group of people. They are, they are, they're just a disappointment to me. I'm going to wipe them off. I'm going to start a new nation with you. I will make your name great. And Moses says to God, uh, God, thanks for the offer, but no thanks. Why? Because I know that your real heart is to make this particular people great. It's not to do with me. Can you imagine how self-sacrificing he was? He was like, no, God, don't, don't worry about me. I'm good. I don't have any such ambitions. That is a man after God's heart. And he would intercede before God to see God's agenda fulfilled, not his agenda or not his ambition. He says, God, don't worry about me. Don't make me great. Don't make it. I don't need a name for myself. I know that this is your plan. This has always been your plan. This has been your covenant with Abraham is to take these people and make them a great nation. So please, God, do what you have promised to do with them. Forget about me. Don't make me great. I'm good. And in that, God would end up making him so great. Why? Because he sacrificed, he denied himself, took up his cross, and he followed God. We need men like David and Moses. Listen, you're going to be great. Uh, the very fact that you're listening to this series is a sign that God has big plans for you. God is taking you somewhere great in life. Just remember, when you start your journey and as you're on your journey, don't let ambition seize the agenda of God. Don't let something that started out as God's agenda for your life become your ambition in the front seat. It's dangerous because God would only pay for what he has ordered. My challenge to us today is this, and it's simple. Reassess all your priorities. I'm not saying you should throw them out. No, don't. But find God in them. And if there is any priority you have, any, and I mean any, anything in life that you're pursuing right now in this season, that does not have, that you cannot find God in, you cannot trace God at all in there. You need to really reconsider that priority because it's about him first. The Bible says, let nothing, Philippians 2 and verse 3, let nothing be done with selfish ambition. Find God in every pursuit of your life today, today. And if you do find him and give him his rightful place, you will see him blaze the trail for you. Not because you want the trail blazed, but because he only deserves to be first. Like I said, God does not play second to anything or to anybody. As a matter of fact, anything you put ahead of God, you have put that thing at risk. Yeah, you have put that thing at risk. You put your career ahead of God, you have put your career at risk. Because the Bible says he's a jealous God. All right? He does not play second place at all. Wherever you are, bow your heads with me today. Thanks again for listening. 
to hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.